0: Good morning, church. If you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. It has been asked of a well-known pastor how many times getting up in front of people would it take him to be comfortable. And um, he said 300. And so I only have 299 to go. (laughs) Okay. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not been yet put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all you are and all are going to him. And John answered, "A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, and I said that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things unto his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him." If you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just pray that these words go forth as Jackie delivers them, Lord, that your spirit will rest upon him, Lord. Every week we talk about the division and the difficulties within this world, and it seems like everyone has an opinion about this or that, and some people say they're right, other people say they're right, and and People seem to not know what the truth is anymore, but we know as Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? So we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is truth and we put all of our faith and all of our comfort and the truth before him and the word that he delivers into our hearts, Lord. So I pray that that we would keep this in our, in our heart throughout the day, Lord. And we just pray that your word would ring in our hearts, Lord, with truth and peace and comfort and that we would rely on what your word gives to us rather than those of the world around us Lord we pray in Jesus name Amen
1: 300 times huh I don't know that might be accurate We'll, we'll give you 299 more in a row. Let's see how that works. <laughs> see, that's just my wicked nature coming out. Is it the gift of sarcasm or the curse? Depends on who you are. Uh, as, we, as we look this morning, John chapter 3, and we want to focus on this ideal. Remember when John has given us this book, The focus on this book is to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing on him, you'll have life in his name, right? That's what John said. This is his, every discourse he shares, he's not giving us a chronology. He's not saying this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, like the other gospels. He's coming in and saying, I want to focus on seven uh, um, acts uh, and discourses. I want to focus in on things that Jesus did and said, things that other people did and said that point to him and say, he's the Christ. He's the son of God. Now, I want you to kind of get your mind wrapped around a little bit this idea of of the son of God, because the son of God is a is a term not necessarily used for the purpose of Someone who was born as a result of the gods. But the Son of God is used as a term of the one and only true leader who is able to unite the peoples together uh, under a banner and keep them there. We talked a little bit about this before, but I just kind of want you to get your mindset. The idea of the Son of God, let me me kind of lay it out for you. The idea of the Son of God was a title that was taken by every king in the ancient world. Every king said they were the Son of God. Pharaoh said he was the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar said he was the Son of God. Every king of the ancient world, when they took control, they said, you should obey me because I am Son of God. I am god in flesh now that, those were all man trying to elevate himself to a position he can't hold because what do we know about every one of those kingdoms what happens to them yeah anybody, anybody really worried about Pharaoh anymore no doesn't send, send shocks through your system oh Pharaoh's mad at us no right Because all of those claims were false. And all of those men did what? Fell short, right? They're not the one. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the one who is the fulfillment of the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, the stone not cut out with hands that comes from the heavens and destroys all the kingdoms of men, becomes the kingdom of God and fills the whole earth. With his reign. So, this is what it means when he says Jesus is the Son of God. The title of Son of Man is actually a title of deity. Because Daniel said there was a dream, a vision he had of the Ancient of Days. You remember? The Ancient of Days sitting on his throne, and there came unto him one. Like to the Son of Man. And the Father sets the Son of Man on the throne. And he declares in Psalm 110, put your feet here, sit here on this throne until I make your enemies your footstool. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The Son of Man, the Son of God, the only true king. The only true man is to give his allegiance to him he's the real king he's the one who is able to guide us and lead us but man still looks for man to deliver right we're still looking for that who where's that guy who's going to deliver the bible talks about him too don't it paul don't you understand when paul stood up and he said "Uh, i say to you That Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists have already been here. What's he talking about? Every time a man stands up and says, I can deliver you. I can deliver you. It's just like another proclamation of those ancient kings. We're the son of God. We're able to, to take you through this. Now, there's other things that that John's going to point to, right? Things he's going to point to. Initially, when John the Baptist pointed out Christ, what did he call him? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So not only is he the Son of God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, not only is he the Son of man, absolute deity proclaimed by Daniel. By the way, who did God ever say he would share his glory with? If you're familiar with the Old Testament prophets, God said, I will not share my glory. I will not share my glory with another. In John chapter 17, we're going to see Jesus lift his eyes up to his father and say, glorify me with the glory we had before the world began. The, The son proclaiming the truth of his deity. He is the son of man, the son of God, and he is the lamb of God, which will take away the sin of the world. Now we just saw in John chapter three that man lies in a state of condemnation. Listen, the Bible teaches two roads. You see it super clearly in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has multiple comparisons and contrasts. The the path of the wise, the path of the fool, right? You guys with me? The the lady wisdom and the immoral woman. One path leads to life, one path leads to death. Now, when the Bible says that man is currently under condemnation, you need to understand, it means that all of mankind is on a path to death. And then Jesus Christ appears on the scene and he says what? Come, follow me. Me. You're already condemned. You're on the path of death. You're on the path of putting your trust in worldly leaders. You're in the path that thinks you can save yourself. You're in the path that thinks all your tradition is going to amount to something. But I've come to show you what Lady Wisdom said way back in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, I think it is. Lady Wisdom goes out into the street and beckons everyone who passes by, come follow me. Come, follow me. Come, there is another path. Now, you and I, we don't have the ability to walk that path. That was the purpose of all of the covenants that came before. If you want to understand that a little more clearly, come to church Wednesday. We're going to be talking about the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, and hopefully we'll be able to tie all that together. But all the previous covenants, all those covenants where God was dealing with, with Adam and Moses Noah and all, David and on and on and on. We'll go through them all as he's dealing with all them. What, what, what do they all have in common? Every one of the old covenants. What do they all have in common? Man broke it. Man broke the covenant. Anybody ever break a promise to you? Is there anybody here who has never had a promise broken to them? The reason why we are like that is because we are promise breakers. That's what we are. We have good intentions, right? We we want to do well. We want to to walk in obedience, but we lack the strength to do so. So Jesus came, the Lamb of God. To do what? To provide for us that we can walk in obedience the path of life. Jesus truly is everything that we need. And as we set our eyes on the text before us this morning, and we look at it, this is what this text is focusing in on. He is above all. He needs to be lifted up. Whatever things we lift up in the world, whether our heroes or, or, or maybe, maybe great to have men or fathers of the faith, that we lift up, whatever we do, Jesus Christ needs to be above all. Because he is the only one through whom we can accomplish any of that. It all comes through him and by him. It says in verse 22, it says, after this, after the time of Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's trying to figure out how does this all work, right? Jesus says to him, we, had, we talked about Nick at night, you remember? Nick comes and he says, well, how do I do this? I've been doing all these things. And Jesus says to him, all those things you've done in your entire life are meaningless. You must be born again. You must be born again. And being born again is something that occurs from God to you, not something you do. You can't born yourself again. That was the point, right? I can't do it. This is something that God does. Now, why does God do this? Why would the Lord regenerate us? Why does he give us a new heart, right? Isn't that what he promised Ezekiel? Why does he pour his spirit in us? Why does he do that? Well, the message that was being preached by Jesus and by John the Baptist was what? Repent. You're on the wrong road. Repent and believe. And God will change you. Man, that's an incredible promise. It says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples went into the JN uh, countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Doesn't that sound nice to Judean countryside? Oh, he went to, don't picture trees. The Judean countryside is ugly. Man, you, okay, I think if I'm honest, Death Valley is prettier. If you've, if you've ever been to Death Valley. It depends on the day. If you go to Death Valley in August, it's about the same. 125 degrees, dear Lord, send water, right? So they're in the Judean countryside. It's low desert, not high desert. They're down in there. It says, John was baptizing at Anon near Salim. Now, <clears throat> Anon is just a word that means spring. So John was at the springs baptizing. Near Salim, Salim is uh, the word for, is, is part of the word for, uh, peace. So he is he is baptizing, <clears throat> maybe at a spring called the Spring of Peace or the Fountain of Peace. We don't know for sure, but here's what it says: It says water was plentiful there. So if we go into the Judean countryside, there's a an area where there are many water, seven local springs within a quarter mile. So picture a quarter-mile space, seven local springs, 120-plus degrees outside. Where are you going to be? Bought water, no? Look, I bought a house once in a place called Desperate Hot Things. I mean, Desert Hot Springs. And in in Desert Hot Springs... There were springs that literally, now this old days, I'm going to date myself, but in old days, the desert hot springs had springs just come out of the desert and you would pack up every human being you could get in your truck that was a part of your family and you would leave in August and get to the water. I don't care what kind of air conditioning you got. In August, nobody wants to be in the desert So we'd go out to these springs bubbling up in the ground. Now they've tapped all those things nowadays. So now when you go out to desperate hot things and you get out there into the middle of where the springs used to be, it's just sand. It's a little depressing. But back when I was a younger man, you could go out there and just lay in this cool water bubbling out of the ground. Ah, that that sounds like a nice place to be in the hot. So John's He needs water for baptizing people, right? So they're out there where the springs are. That's where the people are. And while they're out there where the springs are and where the people are, it says a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Let me decipher that. They were arguing about baptism. Is that new? We've been doing that for 2,000 years. What constitutes baptism? Well, some people say you just got to splash a little water on them. Some people say, no, you got to get all the way under the water. Well, when I went under the water, I didn't get all the way under the water. Well, then you didn't count. You got to go. People still argue about it, don't they? Uh, Look, we were at a men's retreat one time, and we had a brother, the biggest man I have ever known. So he was humongous. Really big. Goliath. If you guys know Russell, Russell's small. Compared to this guy. I think he was like eight and a half feet tall. And he comes to me. It's winter. Snow everywhere. He says to me, Jackie, I want to be baptized. Why? Right on, brother. Let's get that done. He goes, nah, I want to be baptized up here. Some of you guys might have been on that men's retreat. Oh. There's a little creek in the back. And I'm, I'm talking little creek. And so he goes, he goes I, I want to be baptized. I'm serious. I want to be baptized out here. And he's a humongous guy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we go out to that creek and we take off our shoes. I'm not, I don't remember why. But so we're walking in snow up to our knees, and I'm walking to, in snow up to my knees in my socks. <laughs> Seems like a bad idea. I don't remember why we did it, but we did it. And we get to this creek. So he's in the middle. And I'm standing and Jason's standing. And I, I called like as many volunteers as I could get. Because this dude was huge. And so we, we got hands on both sides of them. And we're holding them up. And with, even with all these guys. Even with all these guys. You know, baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he leans back. And all these guys, we trying to catch him, But. That dude hit hard. (laughs) Boom. His baptism was way more painful than it's supposed to be. (laughs) He hit hard. And we had to leave him there for a minute. For the water to build up enough. To go over him. And to pick him up. And even then I had people say, does that baptism count? (laughs) Look. Look. That's a lot of work, man. That baptism counts, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So these guys are arguing, right? What's this? What, what is, they're arguing over the purification. How's this supposed to look? So John's disciples come to him. And they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you across uh, the Jordan, whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. Now, in this text, we discover a lot of things. One of those things is what our attitude is supposed to be like when when the Lord's blessing is on someone else and maybe we're not experiencing the same blessing, right? So they come to him and they say, John, John, the, the guy you pointed out, man, he's just over there a couple springs over. And everybody's going to him. We're out there trying to get them to come to us, but they, they they all want to go to him. They're all going to him. Listen to what John says. It's, it's so beautiful. John says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it was given to him by heaven. Do you ever think about that when you think about within the body of Christ? No, I'm not talking about cults or isms. But within the body of Christ, we have a real jealousy problem. You guys ever notice that? We have a real jealousy problem, like who's got more uh, vehicles in their parking lot on a Sunday, or or who did what, or who's got more people, and all of these different contests that, that maybe we look at, and we, we say, well, we want to have that, and we want to have this. And when John's Disciples come to John with basically the same question. Hey, everybody's going to that, that long-haired guy with the beard over there. Everybody's going to him. What, what, do we, uh, what do we do? John says, nobody has anything except what they are given by heaven. Nobody has anything. You remember we, we, we just touched briefly on Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was all proud of the kingdom he had built. Remember? This is the kingdom I have built. And Daniel said, whoa, don't do that. What do you mean, Daniel? Well, you don't have anything except what God gave you. Well, that's not true. Look at, I've done a lot of work to make this happen. We've done all the right things to put all the pieces together to, make, to accomplish this. So God taught him, Right? Nebuchadnezzar went crazy for seven seasons. He ate grass like an animal. And his kingdom was still his at the end of seven years of being a crazy man. God said, see, for the last seven years, you ain't done nothing to hold on to this, but it's still yours. And Nebuchadnezzar proclaims what? Yahweh is the only God. He is God most highest. Daniel chapter four. He is God above all gods. He is the one who gives us the things that we have. So when we look at people, you know, one of the things I always try to do, and I know this is kind of an aside, it's not really the main point of the text, but the idea when you see someone being blessed, the Bible tells you to rejoice with them, not be jealous. Rejoice with them. Praise God. Because nobody has anything that they didn't receive. The Bible says... All good and perfect gifts come down from who? The Father in heaven, right? So John's saying, look, man, these guys, these people, they, 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 he couldn't have anything except that God is giving it to him. When the crowd shifts, when people move, when people say, I'm going to go to this church or I'm going to go to that church, I always tell them the same thing. Be a blessing. You don't got to be mad to go to church somewhere else. You don't have to have a reason. It's all part of the body of Christ, right? Aren't we all, whether we're here or down the street? We're praying to and praising the very same God of the universe. So we want to be supporting. We want to be encouraging. So we see this this growing influence, right? Jesus is influence is growing and we understand john's disciples had a hang-up now this hang-up is going to continue all right so you guys ever known the people with hang-ups that didn't immediately get cured no i got there are a lot of people i know for example me uh, hang-ups that did not immediately weren't immediately solved so if you think about it, John, here's John's disciples saying to John, hey, these people are all going to Jesus, and they're being baptized again. You know that, right? They were baptized by John, and now they're going, Now I'm going to Jesus. And what was Jesus doing? Well, the Bible tells us Jesus' disciples were baptizing. We all know why, right? Don't we? What if Jesus baptized like 25% of them? What would those people say? Oh look, I know you're okay, but I got baptized by Jesus. So Woo-hoo. So the Bible says Jesus didn't baptize any, his disciples were baptizing them. They're being baptized again. People were getting hung up about some of these things in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19 verse 1 it says, "Now while it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus." Now Ephesus is in Turkey. And there he found some disciples. So he found believers, right? Disciples. And and so he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, what's the Holy Spirit? And so he said, well, what were you baptized into? And what did they say? John's baptism. We were baptized by John. John. I know John pointed out this 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 Jesus guy, and everybody was going to him. But Robert, I really wanted to stick tight with John. And then through life, they're there with John, the 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 things occur, the things happen, and they find themselves now in Ephesus. And they're, they're disciples, they're believers, they repented, they're putting their their trust, but they don't have a full understanding, right? They don't know there's a Holy Spirit. They don't understand the things that have been occurring. And so Paul said, John baptized you with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one that would come after him. That's Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, right? They were baptized. So the same guys, I don't know if it's the same group or what, but the same, similar people who said everybody's going to Jesus and Paul finds them in Ephesus and he brings them into a fuller understanding right of what John was all about now are you thankful that God doesn't give up on us that if we get a little bit sideways and we get we get ourselves out of whack a little bit is God still able to to reach his people Is he still, that's because God's people are doing what they're supposed to do, right? That means we're sharing our faith. That means we're talking to people. That sometimes means you might be a little bit uncomfortable the first time or the second or the third but the more you do it, the more you just start to talk about Jesus with people, the more you get to understand. You may find people who began, something began in their heart. Something began in them, but now they're in a place where it's not completed. It's not finished. You get what I'm saying? And this is what Paul's saying to these guys. Look, it's, this is not finished yet. And now they put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. On hearing this, they're baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul laid hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Twelve guys that were John's disciples in Acts chapter 19 coming to a full understanding of what was going on when we look at Scripture back in John chapter 3. A person can't receive anything except what's been given to him from heaven. So the Lord uses Paul to reach them and they are going to uh uh ultimately surrender totally uh, to Jesus Christ see we are all placed by God where he wants us that's why scripture says bloom where you are planted you guys ever known uh, I I know I've I've felt this way where, where you're just unhappy all the time no just me where you're unhappy about something. It's like, well, if I change this, or if I change this, or I change this, something's going to change. If I, <clears throat> maybe if I move, it'll be better. Maybe if I change churches, this will be better. Maybe if I change this in my life, this will be better. If I change this, look, God's going to accomplish his purpose in your life. He's going to do his work in your life. He'll accomplish it wherever you go, but changing your circumstance is not going to change that. What God says is learn to bloom where you are planted. Where are you right now? Then, then accept the work God's trying to do in your heart. Do you know that, that God's trying to do something in you? In life, we're going to face a lot of mountains. I call it going around the mountain multiple times. And you're going to keep going around that same mountain until you conquer whatever that thing is. And you're going to go around it again. And you can move. Oh, I'll go around. I went around this mountain 10 times in California, so I moved to Idaho. The mountain comes with you. And you go around the mountain some more. And you can say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move. I, I move from uh, Fyler to Castle Ford. So I moved from Fyler to Castle Ford. Guess what? Mountain come with me. I'm going around that same mountain again. Well, I'm going to move from Castle Ford to Buell. So I moved to Buell. Mountain comes with you. It's learning to surrender to what God's doing in your life. And accept what God's doing in your life. Accept the blessings of others. And accept whatever it is that God's working in your heart about. Surrender to him. Surrender to Jesus Christ. The king of kings and lord of lords. Surrender to him. You'll go through the mountain. And then you'll get a new mountain. That's the bonus for going through the mountain. And then when you get the new mountain. When you finish that one guess what? There's another mountain. Until you are completed in Christ Jesus. Until we are finished in him. So we see that that this is what John's trying to get across to his guys. Hey, look. This is something. This is something. You yourselves bear me witness in verse 28. That I said, I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. What was John the Baptist's purpose? To point out the Messiah, right? To make his path straight. Now, when the Bible talks about making a path straight, the Old Testament prophets would, would use this phrase about the way that we're to walk. We're, we're, we're on the, the walk. We're following the, the way of Adam. And the way of Adam is the path of death, right? It goes off a cliff. There's no bridge, So we're on that way, and so God would send person after person after person to go to his people to say, make a highway for my people. Make it clear, raise it up, so that everyone can see, so they can see this is the path you're supposed to be on. The Bible says wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. We find ourselves walking that path, but here John is making a straight way. What was he saying? Repent, prepare your heart, Messiah is coming. Repent, prepare your heart, Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to say, come follow me. I'm making a straight path. And when Jesus came, what did he do? He pointed to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Messiah, Mashiach Nagid. There he is. So John says to his disciples, you remember, I told you I'm not the Christ. It's not about following me. Every single pastor and every single pulpit around the entire world needs to remind everyone that it is not me who you are following. I'm just pointing to Jesus. It's not an excuse for being a bad example. It's just the truth. Follow Jesus. Paul said, follow me, how? As I follow Christ. We want to provide that example. Absolutely we do. But we want to point to Jesus. I don't save nobody. You don't save nobody. Who saves? Jesus saves. So what do we do? We point people to Jesus. We point people to Jesus. You know I said I'm not the Christ. I was sent before him. In John 1, 25, they asked John, why are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John said, look, I'm not. I am not the Christ. And then he says, let me give you an example. Remember, he's talking to his disciples who have been baptized in repentance, whose hearts are prepared for Messiah, who are just hanging with John and not understanding. Are are we supposed to go there? Are we supposed to stay here? What are we supposed to do? So John says to his guys, as Jesus' following is growing and as John's following is dwindling, John says to his guys, let me give you an illustration. The one who has the bride, he's the bridegroom. Now the bride's a picture of the church, right? The wife of God in the Old Testament was Israel. In the New Testament, the bride of Christ is his church. Paul says, I will present you before uh, the Lord betrothed to one husband as a pure virgin to Christ. The bride of of Christ. It's an illustration, right? We belong to Jesus, the one who has the bride, he's the bridegroom. And so uh, John says, the friend of the bridegroom, who's that? Well, we just did a wedding a wedding this this weekend, right? Ismania and Dalton got married and uh, it was a beautiful wedding, very joyous, uh, amazing. The dance, I got to watch the dance, uh, the father-daughter dance on Kathy's phone. I left before the father-daughter dance. I'm a loser, I don't know what to tell you. But (laughs) I didn't see it, but Kathy filmed it, so I got to see it. And you just see this incredible joy, right? Weddings are joyous times, right? Full of rejoicing. So you have this example, full of rejoicing. You have the bridegroom who's stoked because he's got the bride, right? And then you have the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him. For us, that's the best man, right? The best man. Now, for the best man, I'll tell you, there's a moment in the wedding uh, yesterday with, uh, with Dalton and Ismania, and I, I always like to watch the bride come down the aisle. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing uh, thing to see, but you know what's even more amazing? To look at the groom when he sees her. And Dalton started weeping the moment she started walking down the aisle. Was incredible. Was amazing. And so you have this picture. Now, the best man, what, what does he do? So the picture is you have Christ receiving his bride, the church. What's the best man do? Oh, should have been me. That's that. Now, in our broken, twisted world, sometimes I guess it's like that. But in Christ, no, I didn't like that, man. In Christ, John the Baptist says, man, I'm next to him, and I'm hearing him because it's all about the groom. It's all about Jesus, right? I'm next to him, and I hear him, and I rejoice greatly at his voice. What's the voice of the bridegroom? Well, the voice of the bridegroom is, is calling his bride. Right? It's not like our wedding. The voice of the bridegroom is calling his bride to him. Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's Jesus calling his bride. Come and so John, as he, as he sees the, the love in the eyes of the Savior who's calling his bride, he rejoices greatly at his voice. He says, man, I'm not, I'm not bummed that Jesus is increasing. I'm stoked. I'm rejoicing that he's increasing. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. His joy is complete. Why? Why? Look what he says, he must increase, but I decrease. There's only one must in that sentence. In the Greek, there's only one must. The must is for Christ. He must increase. I decrease. Jesus said it like this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Because Jesus Christ is above all. There is only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess To the glory of the Father. He has a name which is above every name. Jesus Christ. So so John says he must increase. I decrease. It's not about me. It's about him. Now back up. You remember we were talking about previously. In John chapter 3. We were talking about this idea, right, where Jesus said that he must be lifted up. Yes, I must be lifted up. Even as the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, I must be, the Son of Man must be lifted up, right? He must be exalted. And when he is exalted, God transforms life. God transforms life. Exalt Him. Remember, we have in the wilderness all those guys bitten by snakes. Remember, I think it's Numbers 25. Oh, they're all bit by snakes, they're on the ground, they're dying. Everybody's trying to save them. People are using tourniquets. People are trying to suck out the poison. People are trying to sprinkle pixie dust on them. Whatever things they think can work out to bring healing. Moses cries out to God, what do I do? He says, take a symbol of the curse, the snake. And he puts a snake on a pole. And he lifts that pole up and he says, everybody look up here and be saved. And that required all those people to stop all that other stuff. Stop the tourniquet. Stop all the other things. Stop everything you're trying to do to preserve your life. And look to Christ if you want your life preserved. For he is life. So the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ became the curse. Cursed is every man nailed to the tree. Right? Right? He becomes the curse. He becomes the sin sacrifice that is lifted up. And if you will look to him, he must increase and I decrease. He must be exalted, not me. The name of Jesus Christ. He is the focus. He is the focal point. We want to have our eyes set to him. He must increase while I decrease. He who comes from above is above. What's that next word? Is there something he's not above? He who comes from above is above all. Now, here's John. He's given a contrast, comparison between himself and Jesus. He who is from above, from heaven, the bread of life, right? We're going to see this picture in the gospel of John as well that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, right? We we are familiar with the term. We sang a song about it a little while ago. The idea of Jesus Christ being the bread of life <coughs> means that he is the fulfillment of what manna was. What was manna? The people couldn't survive in the wilderness, right? They have no food. We're going to die out here. They had no food, no water. The ability to sustain life was impossible. So God sent them bread from heaven. They called it manna, which is a derogatory term. Manna means what's this? They called it what's this? And when the people were thirsty, he went to the rock, right? You remember the story of Moses? Moses goes to the rock, and he, he strikes the rock, and what happened? Water pours out of the cleft of the rock. Water pours out of the rock, and the living water and bread of life were illustrations that one day God said, I'm going to provide you with everything you need for life. Right now you're on the road of death, but I will give you life from bread from heaven and living water. Jesus said, I am living water and I am the bread of life. He is above all. He who is from the earth, he is earthy. He belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He is sovereign. That is kingly sovereignty. He is over all. He's, he's the peak. He is the king. Not only is he over all, he is above all. He is superior. He is sovereign. He is over all. He is above all. He is everything. So John is saying to his disciples, man, Jesus is it. You say he's got more people. John's saying praise the Lord he's got more people. He's the Messiah. He must increase. He must be exalted. He must be lifted up. I must go down. Now, John doesn't know how that's going to happen. He got the easy part out of the way in chapter 3. There will be harder days for John, right? Anybody ever been disappointed in the turns of life that you weren't expecting? Oh, well, wow. yeah, I said that, that Jesus is everything and, and he's the main thing and he's the focus, but, and, and I say he must increase and I must decrease, and, and, but I wasn't planning on decreasing like this. <laughs> right? Where's John end up? Prison. Being beheaded for calling the king of Israel to repent. Did he need to repent? Yep. Should we call the king to repent? For sure. Who needs repentance? Everybody needs repentance, right? So John's just continuing what he said he was going to do. I'm going to make a straight path. He he aims up at the, the, the king. He aims up at Herod and says, Herod, you need to repent. Prepare your heart for the coming of Messiah. You need to repent. He gets thrown in jail. And he's going to lose his head. John didn't know that when he said, Jesus must increase and I decrease. He didn't know how it was going to go down or what was going to go down. And he was a little confused in the moment, like, are you the Christ or shall we look for another? You guys remember that? We'll talk about it in a while. Are you the Christ or shall we look for another? Jesus' answer to him is important. Jesus' answer to him is, Go tell John this. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame leap like a deer, and blessed is he who is not disappointed in me. The the word is ashamed. Blessed is he who's not ashamed, but that's what it means to be disappointed. Where's John? In prison. Was he disappointed with the turn of his life? Yeah. When Jesus said, blessed is he who's not disappointed in me, then I fully believe John stiffened up his back, lifted up his chin and said, he must increase. I decrease. He must be exalted. I must be abased. Pointing the way to the one who is overall. Verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. God is true. All the things, listen, all the, he bears witness to what he has seen. Who's he talking about? He's saying Jesus bears witness to what he has seen. What has he seen? He come from heaven. He's seen it all. He's the one who can tell us. He's the one who can show us. He's the one who can provide. So if you say, yay, amen to what Jesus Christ has said, what he has borne witness to, if you receive his testimony, you have this seal. You are stating God is true. The Bible teaches the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The father is never trying to do something that the son is not trying to do, that the spirit is not trying to do. They're not divided like man. They're united. One focus, one goal. What the father does, the son does, the spirit does. United together. And so the Bible says he's bearing witness. If if you are pointing to Jesus Christ and you declare that you receive his testimony, you have this seal that God is true. Because God has told us all of these things before they came to pass. And he proclaimed them even at John's baptism. When John baptized Jesus, what happened? The heavens opened up. You remember? The heavens opened up. And a voice from heaven said what? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Is that the testimony of the Father? They saw the Spirit descend upon them like a dove, right? So you see the unity of the Godhead together. One focus, one direction, one purpose. Jesus' testimony is true. God is true. He testifies of what he has seen and heard. Listen, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Still talking about Jesus. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Right? And so you have this presentation of the word of God. God the word being sent. Carrying within him the very words of God. What is Jesus going to say? I only said the things the father gave me to say. I only did the things the father gave me to do. For he gives the spirit without measure. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus exemplifies for you and I as believers. What can be accomplished through the baptism and feeling overflowing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ did all he did through the power of the spirit. He was given the spirit without measure. Now you and I. We're given the Spirit as the Spirit wills. Jesus is given the Spirit without measure. Why? Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are absolutely unified. Right? Absolutely unified. And so Jesus Christ has the Spirit without measure. Listen, the Father loves the Son and has given how many things? All things into His hand. The Father has given all things into his hand. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the jury. And Jesus is the executioner. And Jesus is our Savior. You get to choose who you stand before. But you will stand. All man will stand before Jesus Christ the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. All men will stand before him, and when man stands before him, they will stand before him as redeemer, savior, friend, or judge, jury, executioner. Jesus is the way. There is no other way. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. <clears throat> John six thirty-seven says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John thirteen three, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. John seventeen two, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus. He's it. He's the way. The path of salvation. All things given into his hand. So verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Last last little point. You understand what I'm talking about, about the past. Mankind is on a path of condemnation that leads to death. Jesus Christ comes, John the Baptist, to elevate the way, to lift Jesus up, to Jesus to say, come and follow me. And so while there are few who will enter through the narrow gate, still there is a way, the path that leads to life, following Jesus Christ. Jesus was asked. A man came to him and said, what must I do to do the works of the Father? What do I have to do? Jesus said, believe On him whom the Father sent. Believe in me. Put your trust in me. What does it say when he does not obey? What does it mean not to obey? To not put your trust in Jesus Christ. You put your trust in yourself. You put your trust in the church you attend. You put your trust in the works you do. You put your trust in all the things that Nicodemus had all his trust in. But you will hear the words that Nicodemus said or that Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And we are born again when we repent and believe. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But those who don't, the wrath of God remains on them. What does that mean? The wrath of God is not a expression of 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 out-of-control anger like the wrath of man. The wrath of man is like, oh, and crash, something breaks, right? The wrath of God's not like that. Here's the wrath of God. This road will end in death. Stay on this road and die. This road leads to life. Put your trust in my son and have life. Once I choose this road and I'm walking down that road, I am on the path to wrath. Wrath is a predisposed situation, judgment of God. You and I would say it like this. If I told you stay on this road, it's going to go off a cliff. You're going to crash and die. Or, or how about this? Let's do gravity. Well, I go out to Prine Bridge, and I decide I don't need no parachute. So I just jump off a bridge. I am the whole way down under wrath. Right? Because gravity, we all know, I'm not going to go up when I jump, right? Well, maybe you'll fly. Nobody flies. Everybody falls. Yes? So to choose the path of death is to stand in wrath. That's why we are children of wrath. Because we're condemned on the wrong path. But we become children of God when we follow Jesus. When we walk after him. When we put our trust in him. And he bids us come. And we come. Come follow me. Come follow me means I'm no longer following myself. My desires, my needs, my wants, my all that stuff. What I'm doing is saying I need Jesus. I cannot get to the Father any other way. I cannot. It is Jesus Christ that ushers me into God's presence. According to Jude, the end of Jude, it is his great joy to present me before the Father without blame, without spot, without wrinkle. Why? Because he bore my blame, my spot, my wrinkle. He covers me in his blood. He's the one. He must be lifted up. Amen? We have to lift him up. It's Jesus that we lift up, that we elevate, that we raise. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John the Baptist said in John one thirty four, I have seen and am bearing witness to you. This is the Son of God. No other way under heaven. No other name by which men must be saved. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can come before you studying your word, Lord. Comprehending and understanding what is the height, the breadth, the width, the depth of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Understanding and comprehending that we must exalt him, lift him up, that he is our guide. There's a reason in the Great Commission that Jesus said, Go into every nation and and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then teach them all the things I have commanded you. For lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. Lord, we come together, we gather together to honor you, to glorify you, to lift you up. God, it's our heart and prayer that as we elevate and extol and exalt Jesus the Christ, that he will draw all men to himself. God, I just pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here today who who has not heard the call of Jesus Christ, that he would hear it in the gospel today and respond. Repent and believe put your trust in Jesus there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved you are able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the Holy Spirit that works within us you transform us you change us you regenerate us you do all these things when man will repent and believe so God, I just I just pray your spirit move through this place. Driving out the dust within, blow out all that is not of you. Strike from our memories all the things that were spoken in this place that are not of you, about you, for you, to you. May you be exalted. And as we lift you high in this place, may everyone turn, look to you, and be saved. God, be glorified in this place. Be glorified and magnified here. And if there's anybody here that doesn't understand or doesn't know and you want to talk about it, come see me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to share more with you. Lord, move here. As we lift our eyes to worship you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.